the separation between your job and your role and ownership is kind of very important so welcome to outliers this is uh, a podcast with outliers and uh, you know i mean more more often than not i have been of late running into uh, conversations where i'm interviewing uh, not uh, like really an outlier but uh, people who are also innovators and disruptors uh, i think the first time i i heard of uh, persistent systems was when around the time i had started my career or a little later than that and it was a massive services wave you know you, you had uh, not just tcs infosys but even smaller companies who were you know riding the software services uh, wave and building new companies and uh, persistent stood out for more reasons than one because one it was not necessarily a services company positioned very differently and uh, its founder anand deshpande who i'm sitting today with uh, also came across as a very different leader and an entrepreneur uh, talking of product uh, those days uh, was not easy uh, you didn't have too much people who would listen to that Uh, so i'm really excited anand to have you on this podcast today welcome Thank to outliers you. my pleasure uh let us start from the start you know uh, just to give a sense uh so where do you come from uh, what what's the early life for you and how much of that have shaped and and made you become who you are today okay so um, you know i grew up uh, in bhopal so all my schooling was in bhopal my father is an engineer and he was working with bharat heavy electricals so bhel uh, township is where i grew up and i did my schooling all the way from first to 11th in bhopal and i graduated from my higher secondary in bhopal in 79 in uh, from campion school bhopal and uh, you know i had a very nice childhood growing up we were in our township it was very safe lots of friends of the same age group my parents were part of a township so everyone knew each other and it was a very safe environment but very competitive environment too so everybody knew each other the kids knew each other the parents knew each other and you know it was fairly intense but it was good fun and it was good growing up in bhopal it was a small town not necessarily the big city and uh, after 79 i went to kharagpur i did a btech in computer science from iit Five years were really nice. I learned a lot of things, made a good set of friends, and um, sort of uh, I started out, uh, you know, in aeronautical engineering. Did two years there and moved to computer science. My batch was the third computer science batch in IIT, so it was sort of early days of computer science. And like most of our classmates, I went to the US. So I followed the class. We was in was part of the class, and I ended up at Indiana University in Bloomington. and uh, i did a masters phd there so 84 to 89 and uh, i completed a phd in databases so i worked in the database area and my thesis was mainly related to nested relational object databases so databases where you have uh, databases within databases so hierarchies complex objects those were part of things that i was working on and uh, my phd was actually quite good we had a very good set of publications and a bunch of other things and i got a pretty nice job at hp labs in palo alto immediately after that and hp labs was one of the leading labs yeah. at that time 
Uh, when I was in Palo Alto at that lab, Bill and Dave Hewlett were still around. Bill Hewlett and Dave Packard used to still come to the office. They would be seen in the lab once in a while. And I was in HP at, in 89, during the 50 years of HP. So that was also a really nice time to be at HP. And um, that's really what was the early days of uh, my life in a sense. Mm -hmm. uh, how did uh, Persistent happen? Like, like this whole entrepreneurial right. journey, what were the triggers for it? No, so I had, all, you know, again, there were two, three things going on. One was around that time I had decided that I should come back to India. That was a good objective when I went to the U.S. Most of the people who went with me all felt that they should come back to India. It was felt that India was going to happen, technology starting to happen, and everybody felt that we should come back. Unfortunately, very few actually did come back at that time. But um, I had decided that I was going to come back, and I found that if I came back earlier rather than later, that would make a lot more sense. And there's an interesting story around this. So few things happened around that. One was that um, there's, there was a nice article that came out in Economic Times around what was called the X plus one syndrome. I forget the author's name, but it was very nicely portrayed where it always said that you know, all these Indians who were there want to come back to India, but they're waiting for a certain event. Then they will work for one year and then come back. So like, okay, I want to finish my graduate, then work for one year, get a job, work for one year, get my green card, work for one year, get married, get for one year. And this never ends. So people just stay there forever. <laughs> so I decided I didn't want to get into this thing. And I decided to come back very early on. So I worked at HP for 18 months. And at HP in the 18 months, I had a J1 visa. So I had a, you know, sort of a ability to work for 18 months without getting to H1 and other things. So I stayed for that short period and just came back to India and started persisting. And uh, coming back to India, uh, while I had decided I wanted to come back to India, uh, I was always thinking about doing something on my own, though I wasn't always sure what that meant. Um, but around the time I was coming back, so about six months before I returned, uh, we had uh, the secretary DOE at that time, Mr. N. Vithal. He was visiting the Bay Area and he gave a talk about what's happening in the uh, software technology park scheme and various other things. This is 89-90 time frame. So I was kind of uh, excited by the fact that, you know, they're trying to help um, people like me who wanted to set up a business. So I decided to take advantage of that and use this opportunity to come back and say, okay, let me go start my own. Choice of Pune? What's the Pune connection? Of uh, course, you hail from. No, my parents had moved to Pune by then. My parents, uh, my father left BHL in 82 and he moved into Pune and we had a home there. And uh, the other thing that happened was one of the first software technology parks that was set up was set up in Pune. So Mr. Vittal, when he started out, CDAC used to be here and that's how the yeah. first one got started. And we were the first company set up in STP Pune actually and the first company to have exported any software from any STP in India. Wow. So we are one of the new STP companies, the first STP company and we have really benefited from the government's plans around STPs, STP meaning software technology park. Clearly. Uh, so Anand, around the time you were setting up Persistent, yeah. Uh, what went uh, behind uh, the, the setting the DNA uh, of the company? Uh, help me, I mean, take us through that initial journey, the okay. first employees, the first right. everything. So, see, you know, there were, um, when I started Persistent, my expertise was mainly in databases mm -hmm. and implementing databases and working on query processing and query optimization of database queries. That was a fairly esoteric fairly niche area in some sense, but very broadly required. 
every person who has data to manage would need expertise that we had and i had friends who were part of the community who were willing to help me build projects for them so i went to some of my friends in the us and were convinced them to give me project work to do from india so the early set of business that we got came in from my connects meaning people i used to know in the database community who gave us project work to do so couple of things that were also going on at that time was lot of body shopping was the main theme at that time in the early 90s the facilities were rather poor and unless you had a good understanding of the project work to do it was very difficult to do offshore work because you know it was kind of hard to communicate and cost of communication was very high phones were not that easily possible this internet was not also very easily accessible but since i was working on very clear modules that i was defining for customers it was quite easy for us to position ourselves as an outsource provider we hired local talent here and uh, i got a few other people who were working in the us with me to come back for a short period of time work for certain periods and uh, actually customers really helped us a lot to bootstrap the business the the other thing is uh, when you set the founding team yeah uh, taking them through the journey is also quite an experience Correct. so so for example how many of them uh, stayed stay through the journey or <coughs> were there learnings uh, around uh, keeping the flock together no actually um, this is a very good question and it's something worth thinking about so i had some people who were there for a while and who have stayed on while lots of people were not able to we did not stay on for many reasons and uh, what i find is that as the company grows and goes through different phases of life within the context of the company you need different kinds of people to run the business and most people are find it very difficult to scale so there are certain people who are used to or prefer working in very small businesses or very small companies versus those who can do things in a larger company so you have to have the ability to you know uh, build a team continuously it's never the same team forever interesting you say say that it's almost like building a new company throughout correct. i mean correct how can you go deeper into this yeah sure sure we can talk about that see what happens is that you know if you look at a company's growth it's usually not a straight line or a linear mm-hmm. growth typically what we find is that companies go through what i refer to as s curves so you start with a certain business model certain team you do a few things right you get certain momentum the company has a sharp s growth that you will see a very sharp growth that happen after a point of time even without changing anything you will realize that that com- the company is not able to sustain that same level of trajectory for a period and it starts to taper down and this is sort of natural because of various factors that come in including uh, sort of incumbency of the business model people start getting used to a certain way of things growth starts to stagnate a whole bunch of things start to happen so for companies to grow you have to keep finding these new assets to grow the business so after your first one tables out you have to have something else in the second business model that says okay this is a different business model now here's a second s and a third s and a fourth s so we are on at persistent on our fourth s right now so i've seen three ss in the company and at every s the business model is slightly different the expectations from the team are different the kind of team you need at every s is also very different so it is a little bit of a challenge when you write run a company and i've been doing this for 27 years right now and you know you will find that 
uh, what may have worked for us in the say early 90s yeah. doesn't make sense anymore and just you can't do the same thing for a long time you have to do something different you have to sell to different sets of people you need different kinds of things to sell so this whole uh, transition is always a challenge and how and do you do that um, <laughs> how no, have you done that no, no, so how are you doing that no so it it is hard to make these transitions okay every time you make the transition it's very traumatic but it is essential because if you don't do that then you will stay flat so you know a lot of times there are external factors that force you to make these transition sometimes business model changes markets change uh, competition might put some changes on it so certain um, changes or transformations are forced on you and certain others uh, happen but whatever it is unless you do something different your ability to um, grow is very difficult and with all these changes right. the other thing is how do you remain focused on the original mission or whatever it is like the mission i don't know if mission can change but how do you have the balance with with this disruptive changes and the deep focus that you need for the company to become what it has okay to. now see it's, it's this is a little complicated question again and it, it has to be thought through a little differently see in a business right the mission as such can keep changing at every s every s has a slightly different mission different objective the core values of the company pretty much remain the same across uh, the life of the company these are basic fundamentals like how you what you believe in that pretty much drives the culture of the business those things tend to be very stable and they don't change much but mission changes uh, quite regularly mm. and you are trying to do different sets of things at different times of the business and it is essential that you make those changes as you go along and um, it's it's you know it is hard meaning that's that's why you know you'll find that it, it, there are lots of companies at one stage but when you, when you look at as you look at larger and larger companies the number of companies at that scale are usually smaller and smaller or but, fewer and fewer but anand how do you pick the signs of change like so 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 <laughs> no i i think they are quite obvious okay sometimes you will see that because growth rates slow down oh. you will see discontent within the team people will start to believe that you are losing deals um all of a sudden you will find that certain competitors are doing better than you so there are trends that you, there are quite visible to, most people will know that uh, their s is trying to taper off at in some sense <laughs> so in in the four s but four in each of these things right in each s or whenever you are working on something being focused is a necessary part of that particular mission right so if i am doing certain things where i am at an, at an any point of time or any size unless you are focused you will not survive or succeed so being focused is critical any which way you look at it uh in the ss that you have gone yes. through have there been uh, any existential uh, or oh, sorry uh, yeah near death ex- experiences as such no i wouldn't say there have been near death experiences because you know traditionally uh, my first few ss were actually quite solid in the sense that uh, we we were able to build our cash reserves and balance sheet, balance sheet assets and things like that that made it made it sort of fairly realistic to say that you know we will not necessarily uh, disappear in that sense however you know uh, it was very crucial to make the changes that we made because if we hadn't made those changes those markets kind of disappeared or it would have been very difficult to grow the business in the same business model and and in those the the periods of ss that you are referring to uh 
did you fail on things some things and and things did not work yeah absolutely I meaning what happens in each of these cases is that when you are making the transition you usually try out uh, many different kinds of things some work better than the others some don't and you have to aggressively keep questioning some of these things and you know you may shut some things down or grow some things and the kinds of failures that i would say in our side would be that you know there are many cases where perhaps um i was we pulled off too early on certain investments or we should have continued to invest in those areas because uh when you look at it early on in the game we have been sort of early pioneers in defining new technologies or new areas sometimes we probably don't stay as much on it as we should sometimes we tend to move on very quickly because we are always excited by the new things so some of those kinds of feelings uh, always happen but you know it's it's all part of game the game right I mean you 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 learn some things from every time you fail but um it's all part of the game you 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 will have cases where your choice or judgment doesn't always go right so as an as an entrepreneur as as a founder you are you know a founder is always uh, kind of obsessed about the mission and focus and yeah the sense of ownership is very high because Correct. you founded it or co-founded it uh how does that reflect when you are you know seeding new teams along the way and also keeping mm-hmm. your top performers or leaders with you the the cultural side of it like uh, right so i would like to relate to this um thing that i'd like to mention about this whole concept of our company my company versus our company context that i I want to relate to this and I'm going to give you the story of how it happened. So around 97 98 right we were um, I was definitely part of the coding team. I was writing code because that was sort of what my um as a programmer that was my early job, my first set of customers. I was actually writing code with those teams and I was very much part of it and so was everybody else. So we were about 70 people or so in 97 and uh, there's always this um thing that you know Uh, what do we want to do how big do we want to do how, how much do we want to grow and things of that kind and we had a lot of good people in the team and we were in this discussion going on and um, there was always this context of how people were asking so okay uh, what is in it for me as an individual right so you know when you run a business you have all these people working with you they also have individual aspirations and growth expectations and if you are not able to fulfill their growth expectations and aspirations then they are going to leave and go away and uh, in this context i had done a summer job with another company like this which had really brilliant people but they stayed for a very short period with each of these companies because the founder always felt that it was his company mm-hmm. so i had that in my in the back of my mind and in 97 98 we did a lot of introspection and re- thinking about this particular topic and i actually took a 6 week sabbatical out of persistent just to figure out exactly what is meant by my company versus our company and i came back to the conclusion that you know it is time to separate the individual aspirations of mine from the company's aspirations so till then i was under the sort of belief that you know i don't need to grow the business at all because if i grow the business it would mean more work for us and also the fact that i was writing code and i liked writing code would be very difficult if the company were larger but sort of when we realized at that point of time that you know this is our company and not my company we made a decision that what needs to happen to persistent needs to happen to persistent as an entity and not because i intended 
and what I need to do is my personal aspirations and goal is for me to decide. And if I'm the CEO of the company, I should be the CEO of the company because I'm contributing and continuing to provide value as the CEO of the company and not just the founder of the company. So that was a huge transition for me. After that transition, I sort of moved off of being coder to mainly on the sales side because I was already selling and coding at that time. After a while, I realized that we didn't have enough people selling in the business. So I sort of moved into full-time on the sales side and really focusing on the sales side and I moved off the programming side because the company's need was that I should be selling rather than my personal need. So this whole separation between personal aspirations, personal expectations as compared to company's expectations and then trying to decide that as an employee of the company and as the CEO of the company, my responsibility is to the company and the company's future and I cannot let my aspirations come in the way. This is a big, big thing for me. And I think uh, for founders, uh, this transition is very important if you want to grow the business. But founders normally, yeah, you make a amazing point about thinking as an employee of the company because correct. a lot of things then change. Because no, correct. <laughs> how tough it is to give it up. Like for no, you, no, it's it, not that you are giving anything up. Meaning you continue to, so the separation between your job and your role and ownership is kind of very important. So there's a shareholding pattern and an ownership and all that. So that's separate from the fact that, you know, operationally I'm running the company as the CEO of the business, right? And I'm running the business as the CEO because for whatever reason I believe in the board believes that I'm a good CEO for my job and not because I'm the owner of the company. So that is the difference that you need to look at. And the question here is that, you know, as long as I'm adding value as in my job, I should stay in that job. That does not take away ownership. Ownership is a slightly different part of the game. But they are not the same. This is a mistake, I, I think. A lot yeah, of I mean, a lot of us tend yeah. to get too yeah. attached to the fact that, you know, since we are founders or yeah. Yeah. quote-unquote part owners in the company, we also should be running the business. Mm. But they are two different things. And I think uh, that that separation was very important for me. And after we made that choice, I made that choice that I'm running this. Um, I have my personal aspirations, which are separate from the company's aspirations. Is As a CEO of the company, I need to look at the company's aspirations and the aspirations of the employees of the company rather than my personal aspirations. So I have no right to slow down the growth of persistent because, you know, it would have been you know, if I had sort of stayed to my theory and saying, okay, I should do what I like doing because it's my company, then I may not have grown as much as well. Okay, so so there is a little bit of subtle difference that happens when you start thinking of this as, I'm an employee of the company, the company has a separate existence, I'm running the business as the CEO and I need to do what is right for the business that I'm running as the CEO of the business rather than necessarily the ownership and forcing my way of thinking for everything that the company might need. And one of the uh, things, related things here is the whole thing about letting go. Um, yeah, letting go is slightly different, meaning I think letting go is a little bit more loaded, but I don't, I, see, I don't want to put a very philosophical bent on this, and this is just practical things, and um, you may still do what you want to do and you need to do, and even if you are the CEO, when you are running the job, you need to be fully and 
you need to take decisions and you need to take calls so there is no question about it i'd like to separate another issue which is related to this and that is something we looked at a lot after some of this thing happened was one is governance boards and other things and the second is delegation i think one important thing that it's not so much about founders everybody needs to learn is how to delegate and that's a very tricky part for the founders and the owners or ceos because by mentality all of us tend to be uh so to some extent ownership control and other things are important and we believe that we know how to do things well and we find it difficult to believe that somebody else can do the same thing as well okay there's a little bit of an arrogance that most founders have including me and uh, every one of us have it so one of the big challenges and the thing that one needs to learn is how do you delegate so how do you empower somebody who's working with you and this is again a related point so which, which again is i think uh, very important in this whole context is see uh, if the company has to be successful no one individual can run the business so the ability to hire peers in the business right is the key to success of a business yeah. so if you cannot hire people who work with you but you are only constrained to people who work for you then you will never succeed now if you want to work with people who work with you rather than work for you there's a subtle difference there then you need to give the person who is working with you enough room to play you need to delegate enough things to them so that they can be completely accountable and responsible for the tasks or the objectives or whatever else you define to them because you are peers and you are not you are not he is not working for you if somebody is working for you then you can say okay i give you a job and i am yeah, reviewing this, it every yeah. day and i'm looking at it and i'm it's still my responsibility here you want to hire peers you want to delegate full chunks of responsible work and and trust their decision making capabilities that's uh, there is another related question i have yeah uh, and again very practical how do you then manage disagreements or how do you ensure that you can be critiqued by the people you work with for example uh-huh. how do you ensure that environment uh, it's hard but you know what is important is the following this is what i believe in and by and large within the company you will find that people few things you got to do one is you have to allow people who have a disagreement or uh dis- you know who do not agree with your opinion or who who think differently you have to encourage them to speak up and uh, permit them to be doing that if you completely cut them off every single time then they will stop disagreeing with you so the fact that you have disagreements you acknowledge the fact that we disagree is important and you need to allow that disagreement to to exist within the people and people should be fine about disagreeing with things okay so this is one part this is just the thing that we we agree that there is a disagreement okay so that itself is a good and an important thing to do the second thing that is kind of important is that see typically when you have a business or you run any team every person on the team has a role and responsibility to play you have to allow people who have the responsibility to make a decision to make their own decisions okay so now if we have an issue that belongs to let's say the cfo's function that needs a decision should come from the cfo we may all disagree with him but the decision is his so he has to choose what is the right thing from his point of view and once he makes a decision everyone needs to follow through with the fact that we are all a one team and get the job done because otherwise we cannot work together so who decides the tiebreaker on these decisions right so we have a disagreement who decides to tie break that disagreement so it cannot be just the founder or the ceo 
it has to be the person who whose ownership it is to make that decision if they are respect if their decision making power and authority is respected then you get a very healthy organization where people are criticizing your stuff people are disagreeing with things but they are doing it respectfully and the person who is supposed to make a decision he is accountable takes ownership of decisions it's not a committee and consensus someone has to take ownership and they take their decision ownership because they have the authority empowerment and we all know they are there because we respect them for their job and then finally everyone after a decision is made right people have to all align to the decision that was made good bad whatever it is because otherwise you are not a team right when I mean, you cannot have people saying that oh i said you should have done this and i don't agree with your decision and i'm going to keep bringing that up every time then you cannot work so this is really uh, an important part of how things have to happen and this happens if you have this concept of peers and you move ownership out of this so these are all very related to each other so you bringing so very related points yeah. about how ownership and execution are sort of different from each other and the other point uh, again related one is the the boards of i i i am i don't think uh, today's startups are thinking or doing enough on that front but uh, you come to think of a board supposed to be the guiding council or supposed to be a bunch of people who will question and challenge founder ceo and all that correct how when you are a new company you don't think about these things right but what do you think startups or a new companies should spend too much of time thinking about the so called board because mostly they are investors on the board so not really <laughs> independent you are not really there, there is some conflict uh, of interest correct. and all that so what do you what is your overall thing about hiring board members uh, or or dealing with the board no so i believe that you know companies should include independent directors on their board and i think it's very important to have independent directors because they are the ones who allow you to have the flexibility of you know getting the right decisions in place and they are sort of beyond vested interests and they are people who have a specific interest in the success of the company rather than the individuals on the team and uh, this is very critical so we've had for example at persistent now we went uh, public in 2010 so the board all these things would have been required at 2010 but we've had independent board members since 96 on our board and we've had our numbers and everything else published on our website since 2001 also 10 years before we went public we were putting up all our numbers before and from the very beginning we've been sharing financials internally with all the employees every quarter okay now this is sort of helps the increase the transparency of the business people in their company know exactly what's going on in the business um they trust you better because they know that they have full visibility of what's going on they know as the ceo you are taking responsibility of whatever the performance is they know what it is and it's not something that's being just made up or this whole access to data is becomes very valuable and having independent board members and having a discipline is actually very valuable when you have board members who are who have vested interests so because let's say they are investors okay. their approach to things can be very different from independent directors so i am a big believer on having boards with independent directors running board meetings very seriously and um, being very careful about identifying who these board members should be how to get independent directors i spend a lot of time with companies trying to help them with this specific specific thing and i believe that boards play a very important role in the growth governance and everything else in the company and uh, they are your sort of best partners in some sense on 
ensuring success of the business as well. Now, Anand, lots of startups think of putting a kind of board that you are talking about. Right. Uh, like it's kind of a first, it's a checkbox kind of a thing. And then secondly, there is also this thing about uh, you need that kind of a board when you hit a certain maturity scale and things like that. Do you believe uh, in that or what is your take? Yeah, I mean, to some extent, you, if you are just you and your you know, dog, then you don't need a board. But once you start to do certain business and you start to raise money, and especially if you have funding, if you have other people's money involved in it, if you start to have employees where, you know, you start to hire a couple of peers, there's disputes, dispute resolution, all these kinds of things come up. Having independent directors on the board are very valuable for uh, these kinds of issues that happen early in the company. Now, one of the challenges that boards will have is that unless you involve the board on an ongoing basis, they'll not be able to support you when you need them. So when there is a crisis that happens, let's say two founders or two very senior people in the company have a disagreement and it gets to a point where you know, people want to leave, there's a fight and there's no way to resolve it. Having independent directors is a good way to sort these kinds of problems out. So there are lots of th places where the existence of independent directors can make a huge difference to the success of the company. They're also good for pushing the business higher. You know, there's sometimes complacency sets in because yeah. the founders are very happy that, oh, they're doing fine. There's nobody to push them. So having somebody who can push the business is very critical. And the independent board directors are very valuable in doing that. Final uh, two questions. One thing is about the founder's mentality or founder's way of doing things. Uh, a lot of uh, independent experts, investors, and people say that for a company to succeed, it's important to protect a founder's mentality. Yeah. Uh, and and it, they give examples of companies like Amazon where Jeff Bezos or Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. But then there are other examples also where things don't work. I mean, Travis uh, at, at Uber for that matter. What is your view on having a company you know, which, how how much should a company protect founders' mentality, if at all? Are there moments when it should completely move on? No, I, I think, um, and the, there is a book also on this topic, which yeah. I've been reading. Uh, essentially, uh, founders' mentality is very important. It's not clear how important the founder may be. The mentality and the founder are two different things. I think the founder's mentality has a certain attributes of, you know, being intense, being frugal, being focused, a bunch of things that founders tend to do very naturally because they have seen the company through the early days and have gone through the struggle that most companies go through. That experience is very valuable and that sort of flows into the life of the company. It would be great to have that kind of founder's mentality in every business and that is important for the success of the business. <coughs> However, you know, in certain cases, of course, you know, founders have a certain life lifespan in which they can continue to retain and sustain that mentality and companies have to go beyond founders as well. And those companies who are able to make that transition will succeed. And you cannot, you know, finally, there is a limited life on how long a founder can run a business. So when you look at companies that are 50 years old, 100 years old, there are, they have transitioned from being from the founder to either the next generation or some sort of professional management and I think that's critical but despite all of that I think the importance of having the energy and the excitement that a founder brings in is very valuable to the business uh, on a more final note Anand uh, and there's nothing uh, time, like this question is not has no sense of timing I'm just asking you randomly 
three nearly three decades with persistent now uh, or yeah i've been uh, 27 27 years. yeah ne- nearly i mean yeah three years short uh, how much do you think of uh, moving on or or getting uh, the ceo or, or doing succession planning uh, what's going on in in your mind to whatever extent okay. you can share and how do you approach this this topic overall okay so there are few things that i've been doing personally yeah, and i do realize I've been at this since for 27 years since the beginning I'm over 55 now so all these things do come into my mind and my board is also very anxious to make sure that different things happen that said you know uh, as long as I'm doing my job I stay where I am so let me tell you what things we go through in our board context so in the context of succession there's always this discussion that we have is to do we have enough people in the business internally who can take over my job at a short notice if that were necessary yeah. so as they say you know if you get hit by a truck then what happens right so you need to have the ability to have the organization needs to have internal strength to be in a position to to have someone take that job instantaneously if that happens so that's a kind of succession planning activity that we definitely do all the time we look at these kinds of things we review make sure that there is no document or no activity that is done where only one person is involved so everything that i have done or i've been doing somebody else is fully aware of that so if i have to be walking out or if i get hit by a truck there's somebody else who can take over instantaneously so that part is the basic hygiene that you need to do in terms of succession planning now the other thing that i have been thinking about from my side of is is the following two two areas which are you know relevant in this context one is that i want to be sure that i'm not staying here because i have nothing else to do Okay, meaning if I find that I'm in a situation where I can do nothing else, okay, and so I have to stay here because, you no, know, you can't be doing nothing, right? So as long as I have something that I could be doing, where I could go to, then at least then I have a chance of being fair to asking this question on the job that you know if I, have, am I ready to move out? Because if I don't have something else to do, then I'm not uh, being fair to. the company by saying you know i'm going to stay here because i have nothing else to do right so this is an important part and for the last few years i've been asking myself this question and so i i have this strategy that i use a lot which i call enumerate and eliminate mm-hmm. so i enumerate all the options right so i made a list of options what could i do if i were to not do persistent if i were to leave from persistent tomorrow so i have made a list of various things i could do and that list is quite li- li- nice and long so that is very very satisfying to say that you know i have other things i can do <laughs> so don't show things, me that yeah. list but tell me few things no no the there list. are many things like i could write books i have i could teach tomorrow i can teach computer science i can teach in school of management so there are a bunch of things i could be on boards so there's a set of things i know i can do without anything and i also sort of have been now at this for a while and i i have always felt that i should be giving back to the society so i have set up my own personal foundation and i like the way both bill gates has done it or say michael and susan dell have done it so when they started their so gates started gates foundation almost 9 years before he left microsoft so he started the foundation he was already investing in it the company the foundation was already going on and when he decided he needed to move on he had something else to go to so i have started my own foundation it's called deyasra foundation and d is for deshpande asra are the initials of the family members so it's just like a personal foundation and we are focused on employment generation this problem is a large problem it's never going to end so i have enough to do for this for a long time so if and when i move i have a place to go to which is my own foundation and i'm focused on employment generation and 
self-employment and uh, you know I, I think I have a I have something where I can make a legacy for for myself for the future so I, I do have things that I could be doing and you know when will this transition happen is is something uh, it all depends there are lots of factors in these kinds of situations currently I have a mission and a charter that I'm working on within persistent so I'm not necessarily walking away tomorrow or anything like that but both sides of things one is worst case situation if I'm hit by a truck what happens yes we have that protected and the other thing from my personal side of view yes if I decide that um, or somebody decides or whatever it decides that I have to move on do I have something else to do because I'm not retiring ever right nobody is going to retire so you have to have something else to do yeah. so I did set myself up with this foundation which is moving quite well and I have a place to go so I'm quite comfortable with with my transition if and when it happens really uh, amazing to hear that because it, it looks like yeah the clarity is astounding you thought through almost every no right so you know as i said you know i find this very very useful activity i i i write i write things down okay so i i make a list of all possible options i have because you know when you're doing something you're picking cho- making a choice amongst the best available options so if you have thought through the options in advance right what possible options you have then your ability to make the choice is lot better <laughs> got speed on and 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 more power to everything that you want to pursue i really Thank enjoyed you. this conversation thank you very much thanks